Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. When the sun finally shines on the west end of Glasgow, we should have known that this was going to be an absolute bosker of an interview, but we didn't. We knew beforehand. Neil and Martin and I selected Charlie Nicholas because we were convinced that this was a guy very famous now for Soccer Saturday who'd been a footballer of tremendous creativity and quality showing some of the skill and cheekiness and ambition that used to characterize the Scottish game and doesn't anymore he talks with love about football because like me he's still head over heels in love with the beauty of this game if you come out of this podcast interview without thinking more about Charlie as a man of football I'll be deeply surprised sit back get on your running machine turn the engine commute to work whatever it is you do listen to it and just soak this up one of the best most enjoyable interviews I've ever been lucky enough to have I'm glad Danny's been talked about in that way because as well as wanting to talk to the audience in this podcast about you beyond your television personality, because for mm-hmm. younger people, yeah. they see you as a star of Soccer Saturday. And it's good to talk about Danny and explain to people, not just the footballer, but the man too. And if we're getting a little bit romantic about the past, can I tease out a little bit about life at Highbury, the stadium from you? Because I've cheated, because before we turned the tape on, I checked that you felt the same way and you do. When I first came there as a reporter, having been lucky enough that Glasgow Walter Smith had you know, taken me into the inside of Ibrox and had lunch there, Tommy Burns had shown me around Parkhead and because we'd travelled to Turin together to study events and he came back, I saw his office, I saw Celtic from the inside, which is a real privilege and a hand mm-hmm. in too. But the first time I saw Highbury, um, it installed itself as my second favourite stadium after Pataudry because it, it struck me as like the Downton Abbey of football. It was just aristocratic. And I'd like to know what it felt like moving there, what, it, what the standards were like at Highbury, the stadium, what your experiences were there. The tribute to Highbury for me wasn't just in the fact that it was a cranky old stadium where the clock end in particular, and the aspect that it only took 37,000, 38,000 people. But there was something extraordinary about it and I think it adds to it because at Arsenal we never trained there we only trained there on a Friday I find that incredibly weird because when I went to Celtic Park going to get changed we'd all have to get in not our own cars but we'd share cars up to Barrafield for mm-hmm. training facility which was one mile up the road and we were covered in mud coming back in these cars most ridiculous thing. Why? I mean surely we must have a team bus or something that takes us up and back and all when we were filthy dirty 
and it was Porn Fair Havens in Glasgow as it always was. Some years would run down the road. Because I, I was a boy and I used to train up there with Celtic Boys Club, I used to jump on the bus. It's only two stops at 64. And my granny actually stayed across the road. So I kind of knew the bus drivers and everything. So we would be running along. There was about seven or eight of us. And before I got my metal studs on, <laughs> and I'd jump on, I'd wave the bus, and they'd go, oh, how you doing, boys? All right. And just drop us up the bottom of Kerrydale Street. That's the type of things I always See, found were adaptable. I've spoken to Niesta and Messi and Xavi, and I can guarantee they never, <laughs> never quite had this experience. But they might have been the better for it, but yeah. this well, is different times. Possibly not. What? Possibly not. But, I mean, we that the type of thing. And I found going to Highbury was like, that special day on a Friday, we never trained in the pitch. Very rarely did we train in the pitch. It was be the indoor facility, and then in the pitch we'd maybe just walk through a couple of moves. But as soon as you come down that that tunnel, the dress rooms are, are unbelievable. Just lovely, big, spacious dress rooms. The marble heated flooring, as people say. The pegs were virtually in the top of the roof. You had to step up to try and reach the peg. Kenny Sansom could hardly ever reach his peg. He was so small, and we used to always play games with that. But. Uh, no, I, I loved the whole concept of how the atmosphere worked at Highbury. I mean, I was very fortunate because I was a very popular individual with the crowd. The North Bank liked me, Clock End liked me. Be a few in between that didn't, uh, who were a bit more precious, a bit more precise about how they wanted certain players. But that's the aspects of the game. But the tunnel, there was a halfway house down in, as you come down that long tunnel. For people who will recall the Vieira Roy Keane incident yeah. when the two of them are head to head, which is a dramatic and fabulous incredible, isn't it? Just halfway, five years, ten yards back up, is the little players' line. That used to be a players' line up there. And we used to invite every away team. And we would pay for the bar, and they could bring their friends and family and all that in there. So we had a lo- lovely little social, maybe too social at times. <laughs> Highbury for me was, was just an instinctive love yeah. of what incorporated this old historic building that had seen some great players. I, I didn't really know the full history of Arsenal, but when I was there, the Joe Bakers and these type of players who, who had been Scottish and played in England and had good reputations, but Arsenal's pedigree of what it really was, it was known as quite aloof. But yet, there was a bit of everything within our group. Irish, there was a few few Welsh, Welsh boys, uh, and of course, very few Scots. I was, I, I was the only one there at the time. But I, I loved the whole experience. I, I turning up at Highbury on the bus and walking in in the dorm room with a proper regalia and the whole thing coming in there. Old Pete and it's gone now. The, uh, well, that's uh, the sad thing. But but you played a part in its farewell, which I didn't. Well, know. I, I, I was delighted. This this you. yeah. Well, I'm I'm still a pretty hardcore Celtic fan. I've kind of lost a fabric of my spirit for it because of the way the club's run now. It's not the Celtic that I was kind of proud of. And I. I'm adaptable. I know there's modern ways. I don't have a problem with that. I still wish the team every success. But I don't like a lot of what the people who run the current club do. And they're not very good at remembering a lot of the ex-players. I was standing up for some ex-players for a while that they were getting benefit dinners and these guys who were on 50, 60 grand a week were getting benefit dinners. And I'm saying, well, what about Tommy Carrigan and yeah. all these uh, different players that didn't get in? Dennis Conahan was mentioned. A lot of these guys are ill and not well and at least pay for an operation. And they don't like all... Oh, that type of talk but I don't care I'll put my neck on the line sometimes for the rights of what I believe in so they don't really look after I'm not just saying me but a lot of other ex-players that well whereas Arsenal invited me and my daughter to watch Arsenal's last European tie at Highbury against Juventus Vieira was coming back Henri was just probably just becoming the best Arsenal player I'd ever seen if not becoming the best player in the Premier League mm-hmm. that I'd ever seen and uh, Fabregas was just bubbling through the, in, in the background and uh, I was invited on the pitch before the kick-off when they were warming up, two or three questions. 
everything. They gave me a Nicholas shirt again, gave my daughter a Nicholas shirt. It's extraordinary, uh, isn't it? And then we went back in and we we were asked we be Frankie Dottori as an Arsenal fan, but yeah. he's mainly a Juventus fan. And the three is all signed the wall. But I asked him and said, would you mind if my daughter, Nadine, was to sign the wall? And they said, absolutely no problem. It'd be an absolute pleasure. See, and that's a club for me. But your anecdote supports this idea because image and reality, which... I introduced, and I'm not being particularly mean about Ron Atkinson, but that was my problem about image and reality. And image and reality in football usually don't collide, they don't intersect. There are a lot of things in football where you'd like to believe in them, you believe in them, and then you're let down. But Arsenal has this lifelong reputation about things should be done correctly, mm-hmm. that, that there are standards, that there are attitudes, and if Spurs fans are thrown up at the moment, this isn't, for me, an Arsenal fanboy, it is their reputation to see that fulfilled, to see that they thought well of you and remembered because you might have expected me when you went down maybe maybe to have more trophies and more goals. But mm-hmm. I was going to leave this until later, but I'm on Twitter and there's a fella called um, Stephen Headley who when he found out you were on this, and I think this sums up what you talked about the fans in you, he said, I'm looking forward to hearing Bonnie Prince Charlie, a talent win at Arsenal. Boy, was he great. Maybe London was too big for the lad at that time. Douglas might have been better for him, but I'm glad I saw him in an Arsenal shirt. I mean, I think if you leave a legacy like that in, in your career and the club treat you well and they bring you back, then it, it's a statement about how you played. Mm-hmm. Before we leave Arsenal, do you have any memories? I think everyone knows you scored the winning goals against Liverpool in the, in the League Cup final in 87. But my memory is that the semi-final was utterly epic. The semi-final was three games against Spurs and they seem to be some of the most dramatic football. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if I watched them live, but my memory, my lying memory at this age, at my age, tells me I watched them all, that they're all live, and maybe not all of them were. But they were, do you remember the sequence of games, the three games against Spurs? The two of them were actually in the cup, because it was two-leg affair, and we'd played them just before that in the league, actually. I didn't know that. What happened was that, in my time, we'd always beaten Spurs, and I think that was part of fabric. I was getting a bit extra love, <laughs> because I, I, my record against them was pretty good. But at that time, we were just starting to chase because George Graham was now our manager. And uh, talking about another subject player, but Glenn Hoddle was as good as yeah. I've ever seen. He was never English. <laughs> he was never English. He, was, he, should have been, he should have been one of us. But And there was a little splinter of him in Chrissy Waddle in that side as well. Yeah. And little Ozzy Ardell is. Yeah, they were a really good side. They were good to play against, but they were really good to watch. Yeah. Me and Graham Ricks, if Arsenal played on the Tuesday... And Spurs were at home that midweek also. Spurs would play on the Wednesday. That's how they would work the police so that the games could work. Me and Rixie would go and watch Spurs. We, we would, we'd get to Spurs. With protection? Well, we'd get to a box because we, yeah. we couldn't take that risk. Yeah. But we'd love to go and see them. That's impressive. And Graham Rix was big pals with Glenn Hoddle because of yeah. England internationals. Yeah. But uh, Hoddle that night against us in the first leg, stunning. Absolutely stunning. And they beat us. They beat us well that night. And going back in the second leg, we still always knew we'd we had a good chance. But we were going out. I'd actually been taken off. I'd struggled in the, in the away game. If I'm correct, I think it was Ian Allison came on for me, who was a real good runner. And a late guy with pace could help you. And it proved to be the case. But there was two minutes to go, and uh, the Spurs announcer says to Spurs fans, the vouchers for the League Cup final <laughs> will be going on sale after the match. And we heard this during the game. Whoops. Yeah, heard it during the game. And we all went, I was on the bench at the time, we all went, what? And two minutes later, Ian Allison scored. And it was the most fantastic feeling you've ever had in your life. <laughs> Not just because it was a derby and we were through to the final. First final in eight years for Arsenal. But the way that the fabricate had taken yeah. place and taken yeah. shape. Yeah. It was absolutely mad. 
because it, it just get caught up in every emotion that we couldn't believe and Josh Graham had obviously just came because I'd actually played in a London derby I think it was two years before that and after the game this is how weird that derbies are I mean Celtic and Rangers is I've never been to El Clasico and it's the one thing I want in my life before I ever finish Standing invitation here on the record never to be well, taken I'll, back Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll be straight on your case this season but I played in London Derby I've, I've been to Merseyside Derby mm-hmm. and I've been to Manchester Derby but there was something weird about London they say how hard should it we finished we beat Spurs one night 2-1 at White Hart Lane and Eamon Andrews came on with this is your life for Pat Jennings <laughs> I was like, this is a London derby, Eamon. Fuck it off. Honestly, no I, honestly, he did. That's he came extraordinary. It's <laughs> kind of like special things. I mean, there was a superstar feel about both clubs because although Spurs... They were the flamboyant club. They had been, they had been winning European trophies, the double still. Well, yeah. the North London sides had both won the double OK Spurs previously. But when you, I suppose when you have, and not only did they have Hoddle and Waddle and Ardellas, they'd had those run of the, the Coventry FA Cup finals, Stevie Archibald and the team. They'd stuck to a playing style, which actually would have suited, you, suited you brilliantly. I, I, I was suited more to Spurs style. Yeah. That was a hard thing because when we played Spurs, the good thing is that they opened the game up. You know, they Tony Galvin on the left, yep. Stevie Archibald was brilliant from up front. Garth Crooks was very successful for him, but Hoddo Ardiles in midfield and they're quite aggressive at the back, you know, Graham Roberts and Stevie Perryman was still playing away, Paul Miller. But they were a very good side, good to watch. But we always knew we had the edge over them because Spurs had this cockiness about it, whereas Arsenal had a, a restraint on it. It was as if we will we will agitate us. And that that tended to be the, the situation and it summed it all up when the announcer says, Here's the vouchers for your cup final boys and and we walk away and say, no, you won't. I'm not at all interested in nightlife in this question. I want to know what, for a, a young, beginning to be relatively well-off Glaswegian, what was the city of London like? What was life in London like in terms of them? The things that would attract all of us about, I don't know, whether it was clothes shopping, whether it was live music, whether it was going to concerts, eating out, or just, I don't know if you're a fan of, I love to, in big cities, see the world go by because the world is the most extraordinary and curious thing. What was that experience like for you? Well, I'd been to London once in my life and we got battered 5-1 with England. Stuart Kennedy's day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, in those days, uh, my parents ran a now, bus. That, sorry, that was you as a fan? Yeah. A uh, Tartan Army fan? Yeah. Sadly, it was the time of Bay City Rollers when we all had the Bay City Roller tap the oh, scarf. Shang-a-lang. Yeah, yeah Shang-a-lang and it... Scooby-Doo and How Do You Do and oh, <laughs> White Skinners. So, uh, not, a, not a happy time. <laughs> but the, the, their parents, who all drank in the local Maryhill pubs, decided that they wanted to take a bus and the boys that were old enough would be taken down. And We actually stayed in a, a hotel in Kensington, which is not too far from where I, I sometimes live with Sky now. So, uh, it's... Quite a memory when I passed by there. But that's the only time I'd ever been to London. Mm-hmm. The furthest south I ever got for a holiday was, was I think, Rill. So it had nothing to do with cities or, or anything. It was just the fabric of what Arsenal were telling me they were trying to do to what eventually they did do was different. Yeah. They were talking about bringing Brady back from Italy. They were going after Ray Wilkins at, at Chelsea at the time. Oh, I'm beginning to understand what that would have yeah, supplied so the, your movement with. The, the fabric of where they were, they were talking about going... Yeah was changing the style of the club. Yeah. And that's what brought me into the fabric of the club. London itself, for about a year, maybe 15 months, was as lonely as a time as I've ever had. I found that hard to cope with. Mm-hmm. 
had a pal who came down for a couple of months who was a joiner. He did a bit of work and then he got, he was a kind of home bird. So he went back to Kilsyth, did his job of work and got on with his life. And then eventually my sister, who I lost last year, she was a massive football fan. And she worked for a legal team. She was a PA. And she came and lived with me for six years, six months, sorry. She had a really good job, well paid. And mm. we lived together. She came to the football, loved her football. And that was a nice time. But I found it hard to try and educate myself into London. It's like you talk about watching the world go by now. I mean, I spend most of my time in Spain in the summer, in Mallorca. But I did three days in Madrid two weeks ago, just city bus, sitting, watching the world go by. I've done Barcelona many times, which is my favourite city. Uh, and I love going and seeing all this. But when you're 21 and the invites are coming through the post, there's a party and here's yeah. another party. Yeah. There's a music party. And I love my music. The one thing I did love more than anything else, other than football, was music. So the haircut were 100 were out and yeah. the Spandau Ballet boys were across the road in a, a restaurant and then you would meet a drummer from Boy George's band to John who was an Arsenal fan and you would bump into them and be another party, another party, another party. Now, I was going to these parties maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday but they were in the papers on a Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I was nailed yeah. back your rights and the gaffer would say to me, was you out last night? No, I wasn't out last night. I was out on Wednesday night and I've trained two days since then so, you know, it's not as if I was out on the lag. I like my drink. But I've also been a fantastic trainer. I've always loved my training. There's not doubt in the old days because of lack of education and being taught properly. We're at Wenger and all the modern guys do now. Is it we overindulged? Of course we did, because that was just something that you weren't... And at that club it's established that there was a culture there. There was a culture there because, again, we, we weren't... You had to look after yourself. And like now they've got agents and different guys and they're fitness gurus and, and they're told and have this and have that. It's a single soft excuse, but it was a reality of life at the time. And when you're 21 and you're lonely and you're trying to make new pals outside your teammates, because I've always thought it was really more important. You train with these guys and you play and you live and die with them. But at the same time, you must have other friends that you can go to that gets you away from it. To clear, clear your head of the... You have to have that. Yeah. And I always kept up when I was a, a Glasgow boy. To go to London and nobody, it was like really, really weird. Eventually I did learn how to handle it and meet other people. And had a great time, but the club itself could not have helped me more. In the end, I was going back and saying, look, I'm finding it hard, it's, it's lonely, I don't know what, what to do, I'm invited That's to... a smart parties. thing to do. In the West of Scotland, we're again, not very good at, at opening up. Yeah, I can't, okay. I can't hold it, and I've never been that type. I just take him out. I don't, I don't see any point in holding on to an issue if, if, you, if you can share it with you'd someone. You'd agree with me that we don't do that well in this No, part we don't. And us Scots are we, we, we keep it inside, yeah. don't we? It's hard to be seen, shown, maybe a relatively soft side, but I just always felt that way. And they were helpful, but Paul Marlon was a great help to me. Pat Jennings was a good help. Good man. Graham Ricks was a good pal, and Kenny Sansom also was, and I'm sad to see like, people like Kenny Aye. having wee issues now, but all you can do is wish them well. But yeah, it was London at times, I, I wouldn't have said it was my happiest place, but yeah, see now, if you ask me, because I know so much about it. It's an extraordinary place, I love it. isn't it? It's an addictive place. It's a, it's like this. I feel when I go there, it's like being in the centre of the world. Yeah, and it's exciting and the history, like you talked about taking the bus around Barcelona. Which when we moved there, we suddenly developed lots of friends who wanted to come. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know they were so close to us, and must have been on that bus tour about twenty times in the first six months. But now I'll do. So I'll go on the river cruises at the Thames, and its history fascinates me. Yeah. And Londoners fascinate me, and that that would be my favourite city. In yeah, I'm, well, I'm the same because uh, when I go down like. Moister card, and I, I know I can get the, the two, three, seven into White City. And you're, I, a man I know you're a man 
Well, I, I'm a man from my buses and my, and my tube. I love to travel that way. I, th- I think you learn more. I think you see more in see, London, as you know, hardly anybody you see incredible you. things. Yeah. You know, I was banned for driving when I first went to, to Arsenal. So I stayed in digs with John Lukic, who was a goalkeeper. So he would drive me to training and drive me back. But if I wanted to go somewhere, John wasn't much out. He was a car freak for Yorkshire, right? So I wanted to go. I would, I would say, well, where's the bus? I was making a few bob, but I wasn't wealthy. And I'm not paying 30, 40 quid for a taxi. I'm a Scots, I'm a Scots man in, in, in there. I don't mind spending my money, but it has to be for the right no, I hear reasons. it, I hear it. So I, I like all that. It's always been part of your fabric, watch. And I think you see so much more. No, you see the strangest things. And it also makes me happy to see life go by. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. talked a little bit about atmosphere and the training ground and the dressing room and the unity and whatever. If we skip beyond the, what I call the glory years at Pataudry, if we go to, um, for those who can't see, Charlie is smiling indulgently <laughs> inside his head, he's saying, stop it. If we could go to Soccer Saturday, I, I know it's everybody works for a salary, so they pay you to do it. But And also it's clear that it's a clinically researched show and that Jeff Stelling, the host, is very, very talented. But I have a theory that the, you know, the fun that the five of you have, but the four ex-pros, it, 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 does it recreate something that all sportsmen and women lose when they stop competing is the banter, the nonsense, mm. the digging of the dressing room and the training room. Is that part of what attracts you four to it as ex-pros? And is, could it be part of what the audience love? Because they know they're seeing something like, if you lifted the lid of a good dressing room and you yeah. saw all the chat we always find it hard to break down I've never been more popular when I'm in London you go through the airports and everybody's oh, what game are you doing today and you're like what game are you doing tomorrow you go through Glasgow and it's like 
they're fascinated by it. We don't quite understand it. We often say it's like being in the pub with your mates, talking about the game without having a beer or a glass of wine. First and foremost, I mean, this is my 18th year of doing this show, or being with Sky. So I've been there a long time, and I've come through Rodney Marsh, who was very interesting. <laughs> a very, very much... Col- Colourful and forthright. Yes, very, he was a very interesting subject. I actually, people always say that there's certain characters I, would, I wouldn't get on with because I've got quite a happy, outgoing personality. But I always seem to get somebody who's quieter and they, they don't expect to be my mate. I don't know how it works... Uh, they thought Graham Ricks would be a little bit like that with me in England, and he wasn't. Pat Jennings, and he wasn't. You know, invited to dinner on a few occasions by, by Pat. Wally Miller at Aberdeen. And everybody went, don't ask Wally to go for a pint. <laughs> Buffalo, you come from... And, and it's just one of those, if you don't ask... He's quite a hard man, demanding yeah, man. but so. you never find out if you don't ask, do you? There's nothing blasé about it. It's just simply, you know, do you find another mate? Yeah. And uh, these type of things went on more and more as... As I was getting older, and just a fabric of a life changing, mm-hmm. I think, and I try to understand what sometimes people see in us in Soccer Saturday. We find each other interesting. We do like to argue with each other, mm-hmm. and it's not a it's not cover up. Yeah, you know, if, if there's a debate going, it's a genuine debate. My favourite is Phil Thompson because I've never known a man who's in his sixties be such a kid and so passionate about his club than he is. Tom and I share a car going back to the airport after the show and if Liverpool don't win he doesn't speak to me <laughs> he don't he just don't speak to me and I don't know if it's personal but uh, I don't take it as but this is the type of things Jeff, I, Cammy in particular and Tomo we all meet on a Friday at our hotel we have a couple of drinks we don't talk about the show mm-hmm. we just talk about life we talk about families we talk about anything Saturday just seems to click so I, I don't know but I would say one thing about it is that we are all blessed as ex-players to be on that show because mm. it's, we're getting paid for something we dearly love. And of course, if the fans don't see anything and they're still listening to us harboring on, letting a radio show. But the genius of it all is Jeff. He's a great guy as much as he's a great presenter. But he's also, for years and years, Graham, we, I wasn't a big believer in it, but a lot of the guys that I've worked in the media with, I've always said, oh, you're a journalist, so what, what do you really know about it? And I found that quite weird because I would think there's a lot of journalists that I was brought up with who were more social than they are with the modern terms now that I found very interesting guys and very interesting knowledge of the game and to read your books, for instance. But the old-fashioned guys. And I always thought, well, hold on a minute, why can't a journalist have no knowledge of football? Who are the new modern concept great managers? Did they play football well? Mm. And it's always proved the point. Jeff has a great knowledge of football Mm -hmm. because he loves it. It's a big compliment. I, I understand that. I mean, he works very hard. It takes his responsibility seriously, which in any walk of life, if you research, if you practice, if you're dedicated to it, then you'll, whatever talent you have will come out better. And another thing that I appreciate, although it's a side bet to what you've been talking about, is the wit. There's a lot of wit. Mm-hmm. A lot of quick minds there and quick tongues. And I swear again that part of the reason we wanted to do these podcasts is that those of you that we admire, you're very different people than are portrayed on the pitch. Naturally, I mean, again, if you had your doubts about why journalists might not be decent company or might be educated about football, the three of us, Martin and Neil, are here, the, the guys who came up with this concept, we know that you're not one-dimensional people. That there is a huge amount of variety and wit and interest in, in footballers who are either just playing, not playing, or on television. And I find that about you, that the four of you convey a side of football that I think we hear about 
wit and banter and fun allied to good, strong points of view about the game. That's a yeah. potent mix. It is, a, it is very much a, a kiddies football and dressing room, and that's what footballers are. We've always had the, the childish wit. I mean, at Arsenal, I was there three months. I, I wasn't shy when I first went in. I was, you know, why would I be holding back? No. Get in there, meet the guys, how you doing? And I was sick to death after two months that they kept saying, could you slow down a bit? Could you slow down a bit? Could you slow down a bit? And uh, I just kept going. And eventually I did slow down a little bit. But for three months, I kept cutting David Leary's socks. I just kept cutting holes in And every day, he, he knew it was me, but he could never catch me. And eventually he would give in. And, and after three months, I kind of, I've made my impression with him to soften him a bit, to say, you know, I'm here. You can talk to me. I'm approachable. And I became quite pally with him after a while. I enjoy that and I like it and I wish that, uh, you know, I'd, if I could swap anything, it wouldn't be the millions of the current footballers, it would be the enjoyment of the the, the social bond that if mm. you get in a good dressing room. I, I've had the good fortune to chance into Football Club Barcelona, which I know you admire, but oh, yeah. Spanish football too. I, I look at the, the Spain football team and because of diligence, maybe rather than talent, they've let me in a little bit. They've opened the doors, they've allowed me into dressing rooms, into training camps and into hotels. And what I see about them, both the Spain national team and Barcelona, less so Real Madrid because Real Madrid tend to chop and change and the core players, which have been reduced by Casillas being pushed out, core players at Real Madrid, it's a smaller number of guys who are there because they've been there for a long time or they've come through the system of the Madrid fans. So there's a difference between Spain and Barcelona. But I, I've noticed that how they approach football, how they approach their work, their, their clear-headedness about what they want to achieve, their bond to each other... These are things that are extraordinary. And I wonder, from a distance, what you most appreciate about what you've seen over the last, let's call it the last eight, nine, ten years in Spanish football, the national team, or Madrid, or Valencia, or Sevilla, or Barcelona. What are the things that, as a football lover, attract you and turn you on? I think for the underachievers for so long in Spanish concept, and I hear it a lot in England now, and the FA are all saying, oh, we need a a quarter of players that we should be in and the Italians tried it years ago when there can only be three people represented in the team no country seems to have embraced it better than the Spanish mm. I mean, in the last ten years I'm not just talking about Messi because he's a genius of all geniuses in my opinion but it's how they adapt their, their game philosophy and I think you're intrigued inside that when I read stuff is that somebody like Xavi can have a strong influence mm-hmm. within a dressing room but he has to have somebody above him who believes in that and I think the Spanish manager proved that he could he could take that on board. But it really started with Cruyff, and then it was worked in. And, but he kept the Dutch team. I mean, Rijkaard wasn't a major success, but it, it was the right thing for Barca. But it's how they've in, introduced all the different other styles from all over the world to say, we can make that help us grow as a nation. And I think that's what I've taken on the concept of where they do. Just last week in Mallorca, Del Bosque was doing coaching session and with his name on it. He didn't do it, but they had four really good coaches. My nephew was over, so he did five days with him, uh, three boys from Stirling. And I only seen one day, but it was tremendously different how they had interest that concept of running with the ball. Mm-hmm. When I was brought up in Scotland, the concept of the most exciting players were the guys who ran with the ball. The Spanish have now got that. Why? What, what have we missed out? We're a smaller nation, I know that, but it's how they adapted to everything and took it straight on the chin and said, we can make this work and be a reality because we have the talent but if you don't believe in the talent and the short yeah. and the frail the Iniestas of this world and don't eventually say now was it Pep who eventually said I'm going with it I've got nothing to worry or did the Spanish thing as, an, as a nation then say 
we finally got because Aragonis was quite a hard man very very when it comes across to me and he portrays as a hard man I love Fabregas mm-hmm. he's not everybody's favourite mm. I think he'll get a hard time at Chelsea just because he, he's probably still an Arsenal fan but the real greats the Iniestas and the Javis and the, the real little add-ons they say some people in our countries would say oh I get 600 passes but they don't really go anywhere well, they're going to go somewhere eventually, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They are going to, they're going to go to better players. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to guys who, when I was younger, would say, can you give me maybe a hundred a day passes, Mr Xavi? So I just love the whole thing, that they've seen a reality, worked on what comes to the country, and said, we can make this work for us. You've, you've, you've neatly done a loop because you talked about them not having faith in you after a few good games at Arsenal when there was a couple of bad results. And you're pinpointing there twice that Pep Guardiola had to have faith in restoring the passing game, had to have faith that Messi could be brought in and put in a centre-forward mm. position, even though he's pocket-sized. Luis Aragonés saying, I have total faith in Xavi, that three years ago I was saying, get the ball quickly, fast, powerful, we can never play passing football. He comes in, he sees them, and he has faith in them, because I've changed my mind completely. I want to build everything around you. Is that, is that the key element that this... Com- it doesn't explain everything, but that this conversation is based on that nurture talent, but when you find it, have faith. Danny had... I mean, there's another theme. You know, this guy who, if people were misinformed about Danny, they might say he was a destroyer, that he broke games down because he was a very good tackler and he was a defender. But he had division enough to say to Billy McNeil, trust this young fella. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're taking out of this conversation, of trust and faith? Well, it's, 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 it's my version of it. My version of it is that if you look at and train me players and you see that there's two or three better than the rest of the group predominantly those players will be creative advanced players why would you want to waste them mm. I want to see them I would want to say well they're my best players for a reason so they should play not they're my most average players or he can run quicker he's stronger that can come you can add a little bit to that but if I have got a perception of football the way I see it the way that I've listened to Cruyff and the guys that I like to speak about and, and listen to then I could only go with the philosophy for me which is if they're better than other players in, the, in your group then you have to play them and that tends to always be the creative players we still have a lot of talent in Scotland as in kids I know they've got other aspects of they can walk away from football and they've got too many other games to play and different things but and we do it at the lower levels in Scotland still we will sub the skillful guy to get the runner on. And it, it becomes a desperate plan. So you'll never trust the creative side. But I just love the whole mentality of what Barcelona have done as said to Spain and other managers. You might not always like this tic-a-tac or whatever you want to call it, but if you believe in it and we, we know how to work it, it can be a success. Well, this, this is no advert for me to Sky for them. You know, I don't work. I'm just a freelance when they bring me in. It's nice. I fervently believe that for the quality of football in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, the fact that Sky have been pumping La Liga into our living rooms for 19 years will gradually have an effect on how coaches that make those wrong substitutions or coaches who develop our players or youngsters who like... I'm being told one thing by my teacher or my coach, but I know, I've seen it on television, I, I know how not just Barcelona and Real Madrid play, but I know how Valencia play and how Sevilla play and I know that I admire those with technique and whether it's Valeron or whether it's Pique can control the ball and play it beautifully as a defender that's why I think Spanish football will, will give us a legacy it's like an injection of talent we're going to close um, because I've taken about a day of your time um, the sun's still up <laughs> it's only a day it's tanning weather in the west end of Glasgow but if you'll indulge me it's the League Cup final against Rangers Aberdeen your part in our glory 
Um, the memories it? of that era and why the hell you went back to side that did nothing but kick you for about <laughs> 10 years as a junior or reserve and a first team player well in all honesty am I offering an oil rig <laughs> did we offer an oil rig if only if I, if I was to get one Willie Miller was get the same deal <laughs> no no two definitely <laughs> yeah, two yeah in all honesty, I didn't. I didn't really look that I, I was interested in going back to Aberdeen. The reason, the reason being, I always felt that the right thing for me was eventually Europe. Yeah. And uh, I'd went to Toulon, spoken to Toulon and Nice over a fine dinner, and nice bottle of wine. Uh, we were Arsenal treasurer called Ken Fryer and uh, my agent, and we'd agreed in principle I would go there and play in Toulon, and went back. And George Graham and myself. George was into discipline, but. He over-exaggerated. You asked for a meet me, George, and George was running a mile. And he wasn't a disciplinarian. He disciplined you in front of the players, but not have a meeting with you afterwards, you know. So uh, that was George. So I always asked for a meeting. Brian Clough tried to take me to Notts Forest, and Jim Smith was trying to take me to Derby. And George wouldn't have any. He just he cancelled my, my deal with too long. Worried about you coming back? Or what well, I, I possibly, but the too long thing made sense because I wasn't going to be seeing him. Fair, fair, but fair he, comment. But he, he, he knew I was going to be living in, in Nice. It was just like, it was as if he was so jealous. I'm not letting him go. That's too nice for him. <laughs> so he, he kiboshed it and said, oh, no, I might use him. Yeah, he kiboshed it and I couldn't believe it. I never got a meeting with him afterwards. And, in fact, I've seen him in Sky a few years later, but I, I still never spoke to him. But uh, so in the end, I just, I was three months into the season. And then he was sending me to Cambridge University with a third team and I was sitting on the bench and just ridiculous how he did that. As I say, we never had a conversation, so there's no fallout. Uh, and then I, I just said, I just want to go and play. Go play. Right. So I had to see his number two was a guy, Steve, Steve Burtonshaw, who was his dealer in terms of who was in, who was out. He would say who's happy, who's not. And I said, look, I just want to go. I just want, just, I just want out here. And then they blocked those moves uh, and I'd heard about those moves and he, he denied them. And then in December, there was talk about Aberdeen. And I thought, I, I just need, I need to get out. I don't want to get out of the club. But I could see that George was building something. Which was going in a, maybe in a different and way. And I knew my, my, my time had come. And I'm not one for hanging about. It was a conversation with old Dick Donald. It was a stunning <laughs> old man. Manager was weird, God rest him, Ian Porterfield. He was quite unpredictable, was fieldy. Yep. But there's still the history and the fabric of the club was still a club of intense interest to me. And more importantly, they were still letting Miller and McLeish all there. So the fabric of the club was still with the right people. So I don't think I was ever actually taking a gamble because the one thing I always wanted to prove if I was coming back, even for a two-year, two-and-a-bit-year spell, was that I could still win things. And that was the most important thing to me. I did find it hard to adapt in the first six months or so. But the turning point for me at Aberdeen was Gilhouse. Mm. Gilhouse was just tremendous stunning for me. Oh, yeah. tremendous for me. Yeah. Great athlete, nice enough guy, mm-hmm. quiet, but I could bring out the best in him, and he could bring out the best in me in the field. And it was a career changer, Hans Gilhouse signing for me. It got me back believing in what I was doing was the right things. I was never going to be prolific then, but I was scoring important goals again, and that was the issue of that. But the Rangers win with Paul Mason getting the two goals and me setting them up for the winner was a big, big statement for us because we'd blew the one the year before when I first came. We should have beat Rangers that day. David Robertson gave away the crazy penalty. Yeah. So it could have been three titles, but we should have pushed more for the league. But I was really, really pleased with my time. I built a house in Peter Cooter. I really loved Aberdeen. I settled in well. And the fans took... They always knew I was a Celtic fan. When I scored against it, I never celebrated. But they knew exactly. But the cheer for winning the Scottish Cup when I knew I was leaving... Was at the town hall was oh, just one on penalties. Yeah, that was a choker. 
Yeah, good. That was a choker for me. There, there's something you've pinpointed there, and I think it's the reason, as we close, that we were desperate. We were so pleased when you said yes, and Neil was chatting to you, and said, Charlie's quite keen. I was like, the world's turning the wrong way. He should be saying, well, all right, maybe, because this is a treat for us. But I said at the start, and I'll repeat it again, and I'll probably say in the intro when we record it afterwards, you know, it's nice to meet your talent, you know, somebody who improved our lives, you know, because football is as important as breathing in and out. And when you see quality in somebody that you can be proud of and enjoy, whether it's Scotland or Arsenal, Celtic or Aberdeen, it's a real joy. And you said at Arsenal, there were some who maybe were keen on you and some who did it, but the majority loved you, irrespective of the fact that it was one trophy in that time. And at Aberdeen, a Celtic man, doesn't matter. He's ours for the moment and he's good to watch. That's what we try and do in these podcasts. Mm -hmm. People who love the game, people who have been great to watch, evidently still love the game. Great to watch in your day, great to listen to at the moment. I regard this as a privilege. Well, I, I take it the same way. I mean, I, I'm still a great believer of the fans are still the most important people in the world of football, and that's what makes us all still smile and love it. Well, they're listening. A good, fair few of them are listening at the moment, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, mate. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.